podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hi, this is James. And Jane. And we're back again for another episode of the World of Work podcast. We are up to episode 16 now. Sweet 16. Sweet 16, very exciting. Aww. Nearly grown-ups. Um, we're going to be chatting about resilience today. So last week we spoke about well-being. Um, and we kind of wanted to have resilience as a build on that because it, it's a, a really similar and related topic. Um, and as ever, the slides are up on the internet. You can you can check them out at the website, www.thewowpodcast.org, where you can get these or slides from other episodes as well. Yeah, and you can also come talk to us on Twitter. You'll also find the slides. We post them, uh, post a link to them there. And we are at the Wow Podcast. That's right. Dot org. Um, always dot org us, and that's where you'll find us. Um, and as ever, you know, we're going to do the same approach that we do in all of our episodes. So we're going to start with some definitions related to resilience, and we'll do a bit of research roundup. In that, we'll talk a little bit about the accountability for resilience, some things about stress. Some things about the importance of pressure for performance and enjoyment of work, um, a little bit on how to measure some resilience, um, and some thoughts on you know, resilience in action and some specifics you can do to help with some resilience. Then we'll move on to our list of the week. This time it's going to be five things that you can do today to increase somebody else's resilience, you know, giving a little bit back. Um, so we thought that's, that's for, for plan for the list today. Some stories from the keyboard, a couple of final thoughts, and then we'll get out of your way and check out. Um, but before we crack on to that, um, how have you been? I've been good. Been good? I've been good. We're getting ever closer ever closer to Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so we just so you know, we're recording this just before Christmas. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm excited. I, what are you, I'm what are you tired. Doing are you tired? I'm, yeah. I, honestly, it's been a... I was looking... So I do a, I do a goal setting thing, okay. um, which I used to spend ages on. And now I do like... It takes me like 15 minutes in November. Okay. But for so a I, year ahead. For the year ahead. Yeah, okay. Big things, right? Yeah. Really big things. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, how much income do I want to clear and not not dig into my debt and yeah you know last lo- I looked at last year's and last year's is just hilarious because a I've done it all and Great. that's quite rare for me normally yeah. I, I I'd rather have loads of goals and then get some of them done yeah than have like four and do them all or fail at one yeah I, I like no, to I'm with you, I'm with you, yeah. and I just looked at it and I've like I've moved cities I've started a business I've started a master's I've got a dog um what's left What's left to do? Yeah. Uh, there's two big things to do. Okay. Well, they're not big. One is uh, I need. It's really boring. This is so boring for people. <laughs> but the two things that are left. Um, one is to have a proper holiday because it's okay. been it's been a couple of years since I've had a proper turn everything off. Don't let things affect. Yeah. So that starts next Saturday. So Great. I'm super excited about that. Great. Two weeks in the Highlands, in the middle of nowhere, no phone. Are you doing? Yeah. Are you doing the sort of digital detox and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we've yeah. got no TV Great. or anything. we've got Wi-Fi, so we can watch films and uh, films and stuff. But we, we're not. There's no TV. Yeah. Great. All of that stuff. So really excited about that. Although knowing our luck, we'll get snowed in and have to eat each other. Um, but we're doing that so that's my that's another one and then the last one I've really put it off and I've got to do it <laughs> so hard um, is I, I, I set myself a financial target of invoicing a certain amount of work okay. in my first nine months and if I do the paperwork Fine. I will have done it oh, well great but I've put off the paperwork now and now I need to do it in the yeah. next five days it's you don't have happen. long right you no I've got long. like five days and the worst thing is the work's done <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, those, those listeners will know I hate paperwork with yeah. the passion of a thousand sons 
Yeah. One day when I'm rich and famous, I'll have someone do it. Yeah, exactly. You'll be able to divide it up. People promise me that can happen one day, right? Yeah. Well, you know, keep dreaming. It's good to have stuff to do. So how have you been? Um, I've been pretty good. Um, I've not been as busy and tired as you. I'm still a bit poorly. Um, But overall, I'm pretty well. You know, nothing huge to call out. I've been working on some other projects that I've got, so... That keeps me busy a lot of the time, as, as you know. And you've been decorating. Oh, yes, we've been decorating. We've got, well, we've been getting Christmas already, so we've got so a lovely Christmas tree. I should and... definitely shout out, so listeners should know that we record uh, podcasts in a mixture of places. We either do it in my front room, uh, or we do it in James's... Uh, sort what, of spare, what, it's what a spare room, spare room. It's, a certain, it's like the yeah. fanciest spare room I've ever been in. It feels like like a, a, a very posh Harley Street waiting room. Um <laughs> But we do it in here, and I walked into the flat today, and it it looks like what an American imagines a posh British house would celebrate Christmas. There's the most immaculately decorated tree. There's stockings on the uh, mantelpiece. There's there's Christmas coasters, and oh, it's just beautiful. It's Honestly, nice, you guys right? have done it's it so nice. nice. Yeah, I'm deeply really jealous. It's really good. So we did do that. We had some Christmas drinks. We had people over to do Christmas drinks. What do you um, drink for Christmas drinks? Do you drink like mulled wine? Well, we did. We didn't actually just sort of wine and beer and stuff like that. But okay, just normal drinks. Yeah, just normal drinks. Yeah, yeah. But, but for Christmas. But for Christmas, so we kind of get the neighbours over at least. So I've bought all the ingredients. American listeners, I'm excited. I've bought all the ingredients for eggnog. Oh, nice. Because I've never had it. Yeah, right? eggnog's lovely. Eggnog's so really I said nice. this. I said this, and my other half was like, "Why would we drink eggs?" I was like, "I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure that's quite what it is." Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly it's eggs. Not like an, it? It's not like an eggy hungover drink. No. So yes, that's it's that exciting. Yeah, good. And and you're doing Christmas up north, are you? Are you? We are. We've um, first time ever. We mm-hmm. booked two weeks in a very small little sort of smithy house cottage. Nice. Um, wood burning stove. We've got an order in with the local butchers. Good. Uh, it's all going to be very local, near the beach. Wrap up warm. Yeah. Drink loads of wine. Head out to the Read loads of books. North Sea. That sounds lovely. Head out to the North Sea. Yeah, it will be. It will be about minus four. It will be. It's beautiful up there. But it is. It's, it's beautiful, but cold. And the yeah. days will last. Oh, I don't know. A couple five of hours. hours. Yeah, maybe. I think. I think basically it gets properly light at like half ten. Yeah. And it will be done by like half yeah, two. Yeah, one or something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. Looking oh, forward good. to it. Where well, are you for Christmas? So I'm going down to my partner's family. Well, not all the way down, but down to the Midlands. So down around Derby. Um, so there's a nice house sort of in the country there. Last year there were about 14 or 15 of us. Nice. So Is that a, like a proper English country house Christmas? Kind of, yeah. Wow. Like a, a big, nice house um, with a lot of people. How long will you be there for? So probably two nights there, um, and then drive back up and see some other people on the way back up. Oh, it sounds like a film. It does a little it bit. Does. It? It the like adventures are going to start. Uh, yeah, so going to pack up the car. Uh, um, so that's good. So we really might we might have to get you to take photos at your posh posh country. Yeah, house, we can so do that. that. We can do that. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. We can dress up with a little hat on, you know, the Christmas hats and all that kind of stuff. Had a great oh, time. Oh, Christmas really hats! Good. We put the dog a Christmas hat. Nice. That's how pathetic. Did you that. open? Did you open the dog's Christmas present yet? Is that being saved? No, that's saved. Is that, okay? I wasn't those, sure. of you, those of you who don't know, a I've got a dog which is the light of my life, but also um, she has her own Twitter profile, and on Twitter, the breed that she has has a whole like posse. Yeah. And there's an amazing owner who's organised a secret Santa for the last few years, and there's that's like a hundred of us, that's right? So cool. Who are posting presents all over the country. Uh, which I just love. So she got very excited when well, she, yeah. didn't, she didn't know what it was. No, you so got I let very her sniff excited. it. And she got like her first piece of post and stuff. Oh, it's good. Confessed. A special moment. It special was. Moment. Anyway. Right. Right, so that's enough talk about Christmas, Christmas and dogs and stuff like that. Let's talk about 
um, resilience of a yeah. follow-on from well-being. So do you want to run through some definitions for us? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think for this um, episode, we've picked out a few ter- pieces of terminology that if you're not familiar with this topic, you might not be. And unlike uh, last week, those of you who listened last week will know, we've, we've gone broader than Cambridge. Yeah, we learned our lesson. I mean, last Although time... it was a really interesting <laughs> conversation, but there were some, <laughs> some deeply, yeah. deeply distressing uh, definitions. The secret is we might have been being slightly lazy in pulling together that list last time. So, uh... Yeah, that, was, that might have been my fault. I might have had an exam. Anyway, so this list is a really good one. Uh, resilience in the Oxford Dictionary, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. A slight, I've got slight question marks about that. I don't think it's necessarily about quickness and I don't think it's necessarily about recovery. I also think it's about the ability to function during those difficulties. Yeah, but yeah. I, maybe that's I'm in the minority of that. Uh, well-being from Oxford, the state of feeling healthy and happy. That sounds familiar. I mm-hmm. think Oxford have been copying Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, stress from UKMentalHealth.net. Uh, in a medical or biological context, stress is a physical, mental or emotional factor that causes bodily or mental tension. Stresses can be external, environment, physiological, psychological, social, or internal illness, medical procedures, etc. Stress can initiate the fight or flight response, a complex reaction of neurologic and endocrinologic systems. And we talked about that in one of the earlier episodes when I think we looked at emotional intelligence. I think I think that's when we talked about it. We talked about like amygdala hijacking and stuff like that. Yeah. And that that's the fight or flight response. Yeah, it is. That. Although there's also freeze, they reckon. Don't yeah, they? yeah. And um, appease, which is probably where I end up. Fight, flight, freeze, or appease. We and need to like have about transaction analysis or something. Because the whole appeasement is this yeah. really interesting stuff in that. Um, I, I really, I just, I really want to emphasise to our listeners about stress that ultimately, um, stress in itself is nothing more than the application of tension or the application of pressure um, and what happens to the thing that's being pressured on. However, when you're talking about your brain and when you're talking about how you behave, um, it has all sorts of unintended consequences. So, but it's really, I think it's a really important, like a visual to think about when you pull something tight or when you put something heavy on something that's not really designed for it you see that stress in the material, in the body, in the physicality, or even, you know, on a, a, a table or a bed yeah, or something. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a really good visual for me, and I think it's a really important one, because sometimes it's, it's easy to think about yourself in that way, and yeah. visualise it as an as a object. Yeah, and when things are stressed like that, they're, they're sound, kind of more liable to be damaged, it's sort of easier to... Yeah, they're fragile, for, right? For, they're, for they're, fragile so I always, I always think about it, to me, um, uh, if you take a rubber, a thin piece of rubber or a rubber band yeah. and you would clamp one end and clamp the other and pull them apart yeah. and you see it stretch, right? Yeah. And then you see the tension and then yeah. sooner or later it either snaps or at very least it doesn't come back yeah. Yeah, yeah, it gets to bent where it's meant to. So you can't recover. It's not how quickly it recovers. It's about yeah. how well it recovers and how much it endures yeah. that pressure. Yeah. So for me, that's a, that's always the uh, the analogy in my head or the visual that I have. Yeah. Um, James has included uh, self-talk in here. Um, and he's kind of put his own definition on it and I think it's a really important one uh, do you want to share it because it's yours uh, right? yeah I'm happy to share it so so what I did with this one is I actually started with um, was it psychology today I mm-hmm. think I, I started with and um, I just kind of condensed their definition down I kind of liked it but um, what I've gone with is self-talk is your inner monologue it combines your conscious thoughts with unconscious beliefs um, and its function is to help the brain interpret and process experiences it can be helpful or it can be self-defeating. Negative self-talk is often unrealistic and harmful, um, but can be overcome with practice. So it's yeah. it's kind of a definition, but it's more of an explanation, I guess. Really I think it's I think it's really good explanation. I think it's a really important concept here, particularly because I think if you are not aware of it, 
it does not mean it does not exist. Yeah. And I think it's a for me it was a massive switch in my in the way I think about things when I realised it existed. Because yeah. I was like, okay, well there's still some negative stuff coming out there, but I'm not even gonna fix it. I just need to know it's there because yeah. then I take it less seriously. Yeah. And and knowing that it's not just you, right? Everybody has self talk. Everyone's got that. Monologue. Everyone has voices in their head. Yeah. And that's they what do. we talk. We're not, not that, in that's, a mental that's how voice, we think. But, you know, I mean we think in words, you know, I mean and we think in these voices and, and they're positive or they're negative or maybe they're neutral, maybe they're really boring, right? I mean, and, but they tend to be positive. And a yeah. great example, if you're not sure, listen to what you say when there's awkward pauses because you've either made a mistake or you're under pressure. So I want to give a really practical example. Yeah. James earlier, uh, we were recording the podcast and we haven't done it for a week and he started the podcast and it, it, uh, we got a bit at the middle not something, quite right yeah. so you paused it yeah. and you stopped it as if start and then you said something like oh look at me fluffing it yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It, and you, you said it without consciousness and I was like well, I don't think you'd fluffed it I thought yeah, that was me yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a really interesting thing where you, it's literally you going oh in your head oh is that me what have I done I'm not sure it's yeah. there so I'm just going to apologise in, in yeah. case it was me yeah, yeah. so British Yeah. well done you're now British Thanks. <laughs> um, but it is it's interesting and I think um, I think this concept of self talk is really important I think there's lots of there's loads of stuff around about affirmations and stuff like that. And yes, I get all of that. But I think for me, the biggest thing is understanding that there is a voice yeah. and that the words that you put to it yeah. are probably in some way representative of how you feel about stuff. Uh, so just three more. Trigger. Triggers. Uh, I've got issues with the word. But anyway, yeah, trigger. Yeah. Um, it's been hijacked, the word. That's why I've got issues with it. It's not because I disagree with it. Uh, from mental health on uh, now, uh, triggers are external events or circumstances that may produce very uncomfortable emotional or psych- psychiatric symptoms such as anxiety, uh, pain, discouragement, despair, or negative self-talk. I I think that is triggers in a specific context, yeah. but I think even broadly, just thinking about triggers, as triggers are things that exist externally that might cause something to happen in you, and that could be internal or external. Yeah. Right. Um, and it could be bad or it could be good because there are actually you know yeah, there's some yeah. great ways of using triggers to really have me- to kick off mental uh, really healthy approaches mm-hmm. to stuff and, and, and on that you know we'll, we'll speak about them later when we touch on one of the, the models we'll look at and they're called their activating events basically yeah and that's the same thing right I mean you, you pull the trigger well, and it I, starts I much something. prefer that Sorry, it's a bit clunkier though isn't it I mean it, it, the, the language is better and it's more precise but it just yeah. takes I will always levels. take precise over clunky yeah um, Precise over simple. Yeah. Um, for me, that's that's a I don't know. I just yeah activating. I like it, quite it great, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Okay, and then an interesting one in here, which I haven't thought of actually, but I think it's really really important, which is tipping point. Uh, so Cambridge talking about it is the time at which a change or an effect cannot be stopped. Um, I'm not sure that's what I call it. I think it's the point at which the load, in any sense whether it's in a catapult or something else, causes... Mm. It, for me, a tipping point is not necessarily about when things can't be stopped, but it's about causing something that's been a build-up of tension. Whether Fine. it's tension... It's a point of inflection, yeah, yeah. isn't it? That's the word, thank yeah. you. That's why I like correct language. It's a point <laughs> of inflection. Um, and finally, presenteeism, which some of you may be familiar with, but it's the practice of coming to work despite illness, injury, anxiety... Um, often resulting in reduced productivity or the practice of working long hours at a job without the real need to do so. I would also argue, it doesn't necessarily have to be illness or injury, I would argue sometimes it's about coming to work when you're meant to be on holiday because there is a sense of importance. And that importance might be real, 
but that you have an overinflated sense of importance in what yeah. you're doing, or that's been put on you. Or you've got a bad culture, right? Yeah, I mean. or somehow you've been told that this is important. So I, do, yeah. I, I, think, I don't think that it's necessarily because there isn't a need, yeah. but it is about um, being there when you shouldn't have to be. Yeah, and not always... And feeling yeah, like yeah, you should. Yeah, 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 feeling like you should. Is an important I think the feeling thing. like you should is a really important thing. Yeah. Um, and I was just looking very quickly to see if I could find the definition of something else but I can't, which is really annoying. So um, I'm going to look for it during the thing, but one of the things I think that I mentioned earlier was the concept of being in the grip. Oh, yeah. Um, And the idea of being in the grip is basically when you start to behave in a way that's different from your natural personality um, because you are under sustained levels and continuous levels of stress. And it's the place I saw it was on the Myers-Briggs company on their website, but I've heard it talked about quite a lot. And it's basically where you have a natural way of behaving and then when you're put under the same stress, you flip that and yeah. you behave in a way that is surprising to people and confusing. Uh, and yeah. a very practical example I would give you is that when, I'm, when I've experienced this, uh, I've gone from being very care, caring of my team to being quite distant emotionally and not really worrying about whether yeah, they're they become okay a resource as opposed yeah, to they become, that's exactly what happens they become a resource and if they're baggage they've got to, they've got to go yeah, it's only happened yeah. to me twice in my life and I didn't like it but it's a very interesting concept yeah so the phrase that, that I've used for that is in the box which is kind of a similar thing mm-hmm. so you're kind of hemmed in and constricted and you're not free to be yourself and you're not at your best to some of the language I've used okay so that's some definitions for you what do you think of those? yeah I'm, I'm, I like a lot of those um, I like what we're trying to cover with them I think um, I think things like tipping point is a great concept when you speak about resilience because you know if resilience is about being knocked over and getting back up there's something about that the sort of oscillation and the inflection between being you know in a good place and not so I think that's useful um, I think self-talk's a great thing to get out into conversation I think you know the more people that are aware of that the better um, so overall I think it's good and I think we see presenteeism in a lot of places um, and it's something that we should challenge so Yes, I do. I've been there. Um, yeah, yeah, and even too. worse, I've me been too. proud of it. Yeah, yeah, you do. And I've been smug about it. You and compete on I stuff, think yeah. about. I think about what impact that might have had when I was, this is when I was younger. Yeah. And I think about the impact that might have had upon people around me in my team. It puts pressure I on I dread to think. No yeah. wonder half that team don't talk to me anymore. Okay, they yeah. do, I'm teasing. Yeah. But, you know, they, they didn't like me very much for a while. Okay, um, so research roundup? Yeah, cool. I'm going to jump into this. And... Um, I'm going to start with not quite a vocal rant, but something that I'm really passionate about in the world of resilience. And this is around um, accountability for the well-being of people. So if we think about resilience, as we said in the definition, it's, it's about the ability to return to normal when stuff gets hard. Um, you know, something happens, it knocks you down, you bounce back up, whatever speed that is, and you return to your normal state and can function really well. That's, that's kind of your resilience piece. One of the things that I think happens, though, is that when you speak about resilience and you speak about resilience training and things like that, what you're saying is you're saying to individuals that individuals need to have more accountability for picking themselves up when they get knocked down. Right. So so resilience is very much of an individual responsibility in that sense. Right. So whatever life throws at you, you need to be resilient to pick yourself up. And, and part of me just wants to call out, or not part of me, all of me wants to call out, that there are multiple sides to this, right? So, so resilience is, is several different things, but it's the product of your environment and it's the product of what's being asked of you. 
So yes, as an individual, you have an obligation to pick yourself up when stuff gets hard. But at the same time, organizations and leaders, in my view, have a really strong obligation to not set unrealistic goals and unrealistic expectations on people. So, you know, there's a phrase that I've heard a few times around the weaponization of resilience. And effectively what that's saying is that organizations can set unrealistic goals and then blame the individuals in their teams for not delivering against those goals um, and say that they're simply not being resilient enough. You know, we can create a hard environment and overstretch people and then blame them for not succeeding in those environments. And I think that's hugely dangerous. Um, so for me, I think, I think that the responsibility for the well-being of individuals in organizations is a mixture of responsibilities between responsibilities of the individuals who need to look after themselves, they need to maintain their own well-being, they need to you know, make sure that they're able to do a good day's work for their employers, that's what they're paid to do, they need to be resilient enough to pick up and deliver when things are hard, and of course they benefit from it, but at the same time, organizations really have an obligation to set reasonable targets, to manage workloads, um, they owe their employees a reasonable existence and should help them be their best, and, and in doing so it benefits them. So that's just a little bit of a, a viewpoint there that resilience um, you know, can be addressed both by being resilient and taking away the need to be resilient. And sometimes organizations need to take away the need to be resilient if they're going to be treating people with fairness. So don't weaponize resilience. Don't blame people for not being resilient when you set preposterous examples for them. I heard this described to in an article I read a couple of weeks ago as, you know, resilience training is kind of like breaking my leg and then trying to teach me how to make a splint. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to snort. Um, it's just a good, it's a good example. It's a good example, it isn't is. it, right? Like, stop I'd breaking my leg. I'd go one further, you know. I'd say, I, I'm really sick and tired. And I've, I'm guilty of this, of uh, hearing the message. You know, if, if you're struggling, you need, you need to tell me. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? If you're my boss, you need to keep your eyes open. Yeah. Because just because I'm prepared to flog, and this is not a reflection, my boss has actually recently been, over the last 10 or 15 years, been amazing. But I, I hear it quite a lot. Oh, well, they didn't say anything. They didn't speak up. Do you know how hard it is to speak up when you're struggling? Particularly Partic when the culture's like that. And right? particularly when you're not that person yeah. that has had that experience before. So maybe you thought you were really resilient. Maybe you have had the experience yeah. of being the more resilient member of the team mm -hmm. before. And you know what? As a leader, it's your job to look yeah. and to see and to understand what their workload is. And that's the other excuse I hear loads. Oh, I didn't really understand the detail of the project. Well, That's kind of unacceptable, isn't it? it you know what, I get that there are technicians working under non-technicians for yeah. lots of things, but then have an open and adult conversation about how many hours they're spending on it. And also what level of expectation you have. Yeah. You know, do you do you want good enough? Do you want the best? Which is the flex on the time or the money? Yeah. Talk about it. Don't just say, well, you didn't tell me. Because you know what, very quickly things unravel. Very yeah. quickly. And suddenly you go from someone who was struggling a little bit and just needed a little bit of space. Yeah to someone who has got major concerns. Yeah, you might reach that tipping point, and before you know it, they're oh. triggered and... <laughs> let's, let's string together. No, but you're right. You might reach that point very yeah. quickly. Yeah. So just, you know, a thing that I'm fairly passionate about. Um, the next point from resilience that I wanted to touch on was a few facts about stress, just some things, just to get it out there. So uh, people are often resilient to overcome stressful events and things like that. So I think it's worth reflecting on stress. So three things I wanted to call out. In the UK, um, in the year 2017, 15 and a half million working days were lost due to stress-related absence. 
You know, that's according to a website. I can't remember which one. One of the um, government statistics websites. So that's 15 and a half million working days. Now, for context, the UK is about a quarter of a size, or probably actually about a fifth of the size of the US in terms of population. Right, so if you round that up, that's what, 75, 76 million working days lost in the US, assuming it's similar. Um, but if we just focus on the UK, about 15 and a half million working days lost to stress works out at 62,000 years, if you're assuming um, you know, a standard number of days in a year. And that works out as 775 human lives if you think people live to the age of 80. I mean, that's just a huge amount of lost time. That might be the most depressing thing I've heard in a long it's time. It's pretty grim, isn't it? Anyway. And those are, I, I want to be really clear, those, those lost days are not just lost days to the economy or to organisations. Those are people. Yeah. Those are people whose days of their life, of which a limited resource, yeah. are wasted, not being purposeful, not feeling good about themselves. Yes. And having to focus on how to get themselves back yeah, to a place of Trying to of pick health. themselves back up. And that's... That's utterly unacceptable the human for a Western cost is economy. Huge. Yeah, the human cost is huge. For an economy that's supposedly, let's not even go into this, but supposedly doing well, mm. how is that okay that we're putting that level of pressure yeah. on people? And how do they feel that that's the job they need to have do? Yeah. Uh, so, curious. You know, if we were going to talk about, um, say, a chemical or a food additive that resulted in 775 lives being lost a year, whatever. You, you'd have outcry and you'd have all kinds of action against it. But, you know, stress doesn't have as much of that, though the stress and mental health piece is huge. Anyway, so next, a point around stress is that stress, though um, predominantly mental in origin, actually does lead to long-term damaging physical ailments. Um, and these aren't psychosomatic. These are actual physical things that happen. So I guess heart attacks as a stress-related thing is, is quite a common thing to be aware of. But also... Stress can lead to lasting chronic pain. Um, it can lead to things like irritable bowel syndrome, and it can lead to you know stomach-related ailments as well. So you know something to be aware of. It's not to be sniffed at for that. And the not last to mention point, blood pressure issues. No, by the way. Yeah, the whole. If you've got pre-existing certain things. Yeah, the whole blood, um, you know, coronary pieces stuff. Um, and the last one is that stress, um, like a lot of emotions, is contagious. You know, once you start to get a stressful environment, what you see is that individuals become stressed um, and their neighbours, the people around them get stressed and, and you don't even need to speak to people um, to have that stress be contagious. You just need to be near them and, and that's enough that, that the stress will spread. So those are three things about stress. Number of days lost, the fact it can lead to physical ailments and the fact that it's contagious, right? So clearly stress is not a good thing. Um, however, that said... You know, we're not totally anti-pressure on people. And what we wanted to touch on now was the performance and pressure curve. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you will have seen this. Sometimes it's called something like the, the flow curve or sometimes something like a mood curve. Uh, and it's by somebody who I can't pronounce, even if I have a name in front of me and I don't have it in front of me, like Sensi... Sensi Mihailovic or something. Go like with that. that. I've yeah, no idea. Okay. No, I'm the world's worst person. People can, can get back to, to us and correct me on that. Um, anyway, he, he wrote a lot of stuff um, about flow and the optimization of the work experience and things like that. But what what he's got in this graph, it's a, obviously, a, or like a lot of graphs, two-dimensional graph. On the horizontal, we've got performance. And on the vertical, we've got pressure. 
um, and the line that's drawn is basically a bell curve, right? I mean, it's, it's an evenly distributed curve. Um, and what happens is that with low levels of pressure, you get low levels of performance. People are bored and, and they don't have enough pressure to work. As you increase the pressure a little bit more, um, what you get is that you get, um, you get an increase uh, in performance. They get a little bit more comfortable. Um, then once you get to an optimal level of pressure, um, people perform really highly. So there's an optimal level of performance that people have. However, when, once you get the, uh, once the pressure gets even higher, um, what happens is that people start to get strained, right? So as, as pressure goes beyond the optimal amount, people get strained and their performance falls off. Um, and then once you get the pressure to be really high, performance falls right off, so people fall into that stressed zone. And I think what I said earlier, I think I said performance was on the horizontal, performance is on the vertical, sorry, and pressure is on the horizontal. Um, so that, that bell curve shows, you know, under low levels of pressure, you get low levels of performance. Under really high levels of pressure, you get really low levels of performance. But there's a right amount of pressure in the middle to help people have an optimal level of pr uh, productivity and performance. Um, and with that comes not just you know, good levels of output from them, but a good level of work experience. So that's when work is fulfilling and you're learning and you're developing and you're operating at some sort of the edges of your ability and, and feeling good about yourself. Have you seen that performance pressure curve before? Uh, see, now I think I have, but I certainly didn't know that was what it was called. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure I've seen it visually in that way. I think I've seen it in a sort of a list of here are the stages. Okay. But definitely I recognise it. And mo more importantly, I recognise it. Like I recognise that at various points on that. Yeah. In my life and in my team's lives yeah. and in the people that I've worked with. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, it's something that's a useful way to think about uh, and reflect on this. And, and, you know, really the key call out is that too much stress and pressure, sorry, too much pressure um, leads to low levels of performance and it leads to stress. So just something to, to think about. Um, next thing we want to touch on is around measuring resilience, right? So resilience is a kind of a, a, a kind of a funny thing. It's not always easy to measure. But if you, if you look around, there are loads of different ways out there to measure resilience, but it's such a personal thing that the measurement of resilience is hard. You know, so, so people don't always disclose the right way. People might not want to be honest about things if they're disclosing things about resilience to others. They might overstate, they might understate, all that, kinds of, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's one tool that we just wanted to share that, again, you'll be able to look out on the website. You'll be able to find it other places. Um, this is the Brief Resilience Scale. It's really, really brief, but we just thought it was worth touching on so you could see the type of thing that's out there. Um, this as, is a self-assessment um, tool. You don't need to use it with anyone else. And it's only got six questions in it. Um, so all you do with a, this tool is you go through and you read these six questions. And for each one of the questions, you, you ask yourself whether you strongly disagree, disagree, or neutral to the statement, agree with it, or strongly agree. So you go through the six statements and you score yourself. Um, and then at the end, you tot up the number of points in there. So e each one of those answers for each question has a number of points next to it. Uh, you tot it up, you give yourself a total score, and that's your resilience score. That's your brief resilience score. Uh, and there's no guidance around what that score means or what average is or any of those types of things. Um, so it's really a self-use self tool. But if you use it, then you can assess a little bit of what your level of resilience is right now. And it's the type of thing that should be used over time. So you could come back to it in maybe six months time or six weeks time and see if you've improved through some of the things that we'll talk about later around how to increase resilience. Um, as I said, there are six questions. So I'll run through them quickly just so you can know the types of things. And of course you can look it up online if you wanna 
Um, check it out in more detail. So question one says, I tend to bounce back quickly after hard times. And again, you know, disagree through to agree. Question two is, I have a hard time making it through stressful events. Or statement, I should say, statement two. Uh, statement three is, it does not take me long to recover from a stressful event. Statement four is, it is hard for me to snap back when something bad has happened. Statement five is, I usually come through difficult times with little trouble. And question six is, I tend to take a long time to get over setbacks in my life. So, you know, fairly similar sets of questions, but it's just a good way to think about and assess your own resilience. Have you seen anything like that before? Do you? Yeah, I, interestingly, I ha- I've seen that. Okay. Um, or if not, that's something incredibly close. And it was, um, <laughs> it was something that I think I and my then boss found to start a conversation when we had a little bit of a problem that we had created sure. when we were a two-man outfit yeah and i think i think we talked about it and we were like we probably we, we've been comfortable pushing ourselves but we we now need to think about how we make sure that other people feel feel okay to talk about this stuff and that it's yeah. not as easy and actually you know how do we manage the workload a bit better yeah is it can be good conversation starters like you say uh, for a lot of this stuff if you're in a place where it's not it's not critical yeah but it's not you're you've got that sense as a leader that you're not quite in the right place yeah i think uh, sometimes just having the conversation yeah yeah you know we we tend to look to ourselves to have all the answers and really in my experience very rarely do we have the answers mostly our team have got them yeah but you need you need to give them the space to talk about it you do and and some of the language to talk about it as well has helped through tools like this so it gives them the space yeah but also it introduces because if you don't what you're reliant on is whoever's the loudest speaker to speak up when when they feel they need to and you really want to be having the conversation yeah way well before that absolutely okay so that was a, a little bit of a look at a way that you can measure resilience. Uh, what I wanted to touch on now is something that is to do with how, I guess, you can be resilient. So we know what resilience is. We've talked a little bit about it. We've talked a little bit about whose accountability it is. We've talked a little bit about stress and how that's relevant. We've talked about the fact that some pressure is really helpful and you want to have some of that pressure um, that, that pushes you towards being knocked over because it helps your performance and helps you have more fun. But you don't want to go too far and get into a tipping point. We've talked a little bit about how to measure some of the resilience. And now what we're going to talk about is, you know, some specifics, a few specific things that you can do to be a bit more resilient. Um, So just some things to reflect on. Um, I guess for me, the starting point in working on your resilience is kind of building up your self-awareness. And we've talked about this again in other episodes where we've looked at, you know, emotional intelligence and values and self-awareness and things like that. Um, And specifically in relation to resilience, what you want to start to learn is uh, what your signs of stress are. So, you know, what are you like as a normal person? Like, you know, when things are going smoothly, what are you like? And then when you start to step away from what you're normally like, what are those signs of stress? So what are, what are the things that you do differently? Are there mental things that are different? Are there physical signs that you get with stress? Um, and, and starting to identify those so you know what those are and you, you can start to see when you start to come under stress. Also within that self-awareness piece, it's good to start to learn the types of things that could be triggering or activating events for you. So what types of things happen in the world that, that set you off and put you into that kind of bad place? And the more that you start to recognize those types of things, the more that you, you'll be able to say, oh, this event's happened, that's why I'm not myself. And, and you get the awareness of where you are sort of emotionally, and that helps you manage through that, that sort of challenging time. 
Um, and for me, the last bit in terms of the, the sort of awareness piece, it's a starting point of building your resilience, is trying to recognize the different signs that mean you're in a vulnerable state. So we talked about the signs of stress, but there are other things, you know, that are maybe not stress related, but that just demonstrate or, or indicate to you that you're maybe not at your best and maybe a little bit more susceptible to um, to going into one of these more negative states. So maybe knowing that if you've not had enough sleep, you might not be stressed, but that you're just a little bit more likely to be affected by things. So if an activating event happens when you're tired, you're more likely to respond to it than if it happens when you've had a huge amount of sleep and lots of exercise and you're feeling fine. So building up that understanding of who you are, what your signs of stress are, the types of things that, that lead you to um, be triggered and the types of things that are indicators that you're in a vulnerable state. It's a great starting point. It lets you assess the landscape uh, in which you might be um, susceptible to, to being knocked off your, your perch of goodness, if you will. So that's kind of step one for building up your resilience um, is, is the awareness and knowledge. Step two is jumping back to our last episode, really, and it's investing in your well-being, right? So if, you, if we think about resilience as getting back up when you've been knocked down, there are a couple of things going on. So, you know, there's knowing when you're going to get knocked down and what it means to be knocked down, which is what we just spoke about. There's um, being better at getting back up when you've been knocked down, which is what we're going to speak about next. But this piece here about increasing your resilience is around making it less likely that you will be knocked down. So if you've got a really high levels of well-being, then it's just less likely that something's going to knock you off your kilter and, and, and you know activate something negative in you or trigger you or whatever these languages are. So by investing in your well-being, you kind of increase your emotional reserves. And through that, you reduce your likelihood of being triggered or upset by something or emotionally hijacked. Um, and we talked about some of the things you can do to increase well-being in, in the last episode. But just as a brief recap, it's things like connecting with others, being active, um, taking notice of what's around you and being mindful, learning, giving to others, uh, looking after your environment, getting sleep, getting regular exercise, having a healthy diet, having a support network, giving yourself time to relax, doing activities that energize you, all that kind of stuff. So you can go back and check out the last episode if you want to know more. But but that whole um, investing in your well-being is really important from a resilience perspective. So that stops you being able to get knocked down. And that leaves us then with how do you get back up when you have been knocked down, right? So, so that's kind of the last pin of resilience. And there's several different things in this space. But one thing that people do that helps with their resilience is they actually, they plan for this, right? They develop coping strategies and they know that they're going to get knocked down. And having done the self-awareness piece, they know the types of things that will knock them down. They know how they'll feel when they've been knocked down. Um, and by, by, you know, assessing that awareness that they've built, they can develop coping strategies that help them deal with different types of events that knock them down. And we're going to reflect on a few of those and then, then talk through a specific example of something that people can do. So one type of coping strategy that people have is something like um, buying themselves some time. So I like this example because I think pretty much everyone knows about, you know, if something happens and makes you angry, you know, take a deep breath and count to 10. If you're really angry, count to 100. You know, that's a great example of a little way to manage yourself through an activating event. So you've got your coping strategy. Somebody says something, it enrages you, and your immediate response is to attack in the fight or flight words. You, you want to fight right back and say something. But your coping strategy that you've defined based on knowing who you are and the types of things that will upset you is that whenever somebody mentions, I don't know, 
for color green, which you loathe, instead of being angry and shouting back at them, you say, well, you know what, I'm just going to take a minute, I'm going to count to 10, maybe I'll count to 100, maybe I'll go for a walk around the block, and that'll buy me time to return and to, to be that um, self-writing, resilient person that gets myself back to where I want to be, uh, and from which righted state I can behave more rationally and helpfully. So, you know, having something like a, a buying your, yourself time coping strategy is useful. Um, there are a couple of other ones. So one is around using support. So you might know that you're likely to be stressed, but you might have a good support network and you might know that you're going into a difficult situation that'll knock you down. So maybe you can speak to your support network in advance. You can say, I'm doing this. This will be difficult. I'm nervous about this. Um, it'd be great to be able to catch up with you. And if that happens, you can reach out to somebody. Some people have family members. Some people have um, partners, some people have coaches that help them with these environments. So using your support network helps with your resilience. Um, and there's another thing that people often do around challenging the situation, which is around um, maybe not getting into a situation that they know will get them into trouble. It's around maybe trying to control a bit of a situation, exploring a physical space, um, maybe trying to bring other people into the situation with you, all that kind of stuff to help um, prevent uh, prevent some of the, the negatives happening um, if you get knocked down. But there's another one that we want to reflect on here, really, which is around helping you get back up when you've been knocked down, which is around self-coaching. So when we speak about coaching uh, in the context of um, sort of the world of work, we tend to talk about different types of coaching. We talk about solution-focused coaching. Um, and occasionally we talk about sort of... Uh, what I call rational emotive type coaching models that help deal with emotion and get you through emotion. And one of the things you can do if you found yourself um, knocked down by something is, is to use some self-coaching to help you through that difficult moment in time or that difficult half hour or day and help you continue to function well in that space. So we're gonna talk a little bit about a self-coaching model in a minute, but first I wanna touch on um, a model called the ABC model. Um, and this is around you know, responses to stress and responding to these difficult situations. And, and really all it says is that several things happen, right? So we've talked about your activating events, your triggers, your things that knock you down. Um, and what we say is, well, those events happen, but, you know, those events alone aren't the only things that make you think and feel the way that you do when something's knocked your resilience. It's really the combination of those activating, activating events with your beliefs. So this is the self-talk, the mind talk that we talked about earlier. So these are the, you know, the, the internal monologues that you have that bring together your thinking and some of your beliefs as well. And, and it's the combination of the activating events and the beliefs that lead to the consequence. So something happens, it knocks you down um, and the negative self-talk starts. And then from that position of negative self-talk, you tend to take an action and, and initiate another thing. And, and that tends to lead to the consequence. So what we're really saying here is that consequences of these triggering events aren't just to do with a triggering or activating event. A lot of them are to do with the way that you think about them and the way that your self-talk or mind talk um, changes your perception and, and changes ultimately your behaviors and responses to those situations. So the real call out is that we can't affect the triggering events. We can try and limit the likelihood of them happening and things like that. We can try and limit the effect uh, of them on us in, in terms of how much they knock us down. But ultimately, a lot of it's the beliefs that get us. You know, so the, the event itself is important, but the belief is really what's what's driving a lot of the stuff. Here. Yeah, and that's and that's where you get to influence your reaction, right? And yeah. the response. And I think so. For me, I've got a real, 
I'm reading a lot at the moment about how you make sense of things as a human okay. and particularly around how you use narratives and stories. So how do you, what are the stories you tell yourself that make sense of your behavior in the past and the future and your reaction? And I think there is something extraordinarily interesting and helpful, certainly for me, um, and I use it quite a lot in my coaching, um, around what are the stories we tell about ourselves and how do we then tell ourselves those stories in terms of influencing how we act? Let me give you a really practical yeah, example, yeah. right? So I have in my head this story mm-hmm. um, about me going back to do my master's and partly it is about um, me being a rubbish student as an undergrad, right? Yeah, I've heard that story. Okay, you've heard that story, right? <laughs> Everyone's heard that story. Yep. Um, I still tell people, and I still do have nightmares about my undergraduate okay. finals and thinking, not thinking that I failed, thinking yep. that I haven't done enough credits to graduate. because I've somehow messed up I was not a great student I wasn't terrible right I got my degree I got a a, a lower second it was fine right and given the amount of time I did that was a pretty good result but I've used that story Mm -hmm. to shape how I feel about myself academically and I have to be really careful about it because actually what it means is that now I'm back at uni and I'm trying to address some of the, you know, my desire to be a bit more academic about stuff and understand some theory yeah. underpinning what I do. I have to be really careful not to constantly go on about the fact that I was a bad student. A, it makes other people feel bad because it turns out some of them don't have undergraduate degrees because they're sure. busy crafting their own life, which yeah. is different. But also, I'm not a bad student. I'm not a brilliant student, mm-hmm. but I'm not a bad student. Right. And, but I need to stop that because otherwise I find myself getting really, de- sort of not depressed, but I get really down about it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is so hard. It's not. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, so I did an exam on Friday. And if I don't do very well in it, I will be crushed. Mm-hmm. And I will be more crushed because I've told myself it's, di- it, because I, I've got this whole thing of, well, you knew this. You knew you were a bad student. Why didn't you do better? Yeah. And I think there's a really, really interesting thing about um, how we've made these stories and then we build them into our systems and we build them into our brain. And then when things happen, sometimes they can protect us and sometimes they can hurt us. Yeah. Um, and so it's about being conscious of those stories you tell people and thinking, hang on a minute, why am I saying that? Am I saying yeah. that to make me comfortable? Yeah. Or am I saying that to make you comfortable? And you know what? I mean, I think that, I think you're absolutely right. I think those stories fit with the, the theme of mind talk and I think they fit with a concept of beliefs. But I think everyone's got multiple stories. Mm. And we choose sometimes the stories that are right for us at different points in time. So when we get an activating event that triggers us, we can have different responses. Yeah. So if maybe an activating event in your example could have been you turned over an exam and you thought it was topic A, B and C and mm. it was actually B, C and D, you know, that would be a real activating event. Yeah. And several different things would happen in that instance. So you'd have that event and your beliefs and your self-talk would come in. And the, the stories would be either, wow, I'm a dreadful student. This is, you know, I didn't do it last time. This is so me. I'm never going to get through this. Everyone's going to dislike it. This is what always goes on in my life. This is why I shouldn't do it. Mm. And that's really negative and self-defeating, right? So so sometimes those beliefs come in and that in itself would lead to your consequence. So the and that's, and that's literally almost exactly what happened. Okay, I didn't so, know that. No, no, almost exactly. I turned the exam over over and not quite like that. I was absolutely flying. Yeah. Got halfway through and totally lost the plot because yeah. I was like rather than back in the old days where I wouldn't have known what yeah. was going on and I, I had really high levels of resilience yeah. and I was like well this is fine I always do exams where I don't know anything and I'll just make the best of it I became infuriated with the exam paper because I was like but I know all of this stuff but I don't like how the questions are written and I got 
the, the, yeah. it's, it's really interesting what happens and, and you know we talked ages ago about amygdala hijack as well yeah. and this idea of, of you have a triggering event and you know how quickly can you get over it get over the fact it's not exactly what you want and get back to functioning or yeah. even free, you know, freeze that feeling so I think so one of the reasons I got frustrated with the de- definitions is because they're always about bouncing back for me, resilience is also about performing, even though it's got on, the triggers ongoing. Yes. So the, that's true. you know, I'm still frustrated with the. I've got two hours to write an essay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't I'm still frustrated with the paper. Yeah. I'm still sitting there telling myself stories about how I'm rubbish and what a surprise I'm not doing yeah. very well. I need to perform during yeah. that, and I think um, what's been fascinating for me, and I guess this the reason that I think this is so relevant, is it's been 20 years since I did an exam, right? Yeah. I hadn't realised how frustrated and how much that was going to. How much the is still whole part of concept of being put under pressure yeah. in a very narrow place where I'm I don't write well. Yeah. Physically my handwriting is yeah, not good exactly. is what I mean. So for me it's a whole load of stuff where hang on a minute, this isn't a world of work where I'm natural and I'm comfortable and I know what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm being put in an uncomfortable situation, I'm not happy, I've had a what you would refer to in your in in the in the notes you've got as a triggering event. Yeah. And I don't have time to be resilient or even yeah. get over it or punch about. I just need to behave. Yeah. And it's that ability to switch off, I think, yeah. which was way out of practice for me, mm-hmm. massively. Yeah. So this, the, all of your comments about, um, that you were saying in the research about building it up and about yeah. what you can do, I think are hugely important. Yeah, hugely. they are. And, and that lowers your probability of being knocked down. And so, so we know that the activating events, only the start of this, right? So the activating event, coupled with the beliefs and the self-talk that go with that, are what drive the consequences. And that's what makes it hard in the moment for you to be, you know, in this example, doing your exam well. And the consequence of that is the consequence of that is that you're spending your time churning over in your mind, thinking about this other stuff. When the outcome that you want is you want to be able to park that yeah. and actually do the thing. And you're, you're wasting do. really precious resources. You're, brace- you're yeah. wasting time. You're wasting emotion yeah. in an already stressful time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, you know, the, the people, we know this, we look around ourselves, right? And we see the people who are functioning best. And the people who are functioning best have put the blinkers down in yeah. certain scenarios, mm-hmm. not all, but in yeah. certain scenarios when they need to, they've put the blinkers down and they said, you know what? I am not going to worry about any of this stuff peripherally. Yeah. I am going to focus on the job I want, whether they're in a meeting, whether they're in an exam, whether they're public speaking, yeah, whether they're running focus, a company. Right. They are able to say, this is my priority everything else mm-hmm. I am not going to focus on yeah. and I think that's hugely uh, uh, the correlation I suspect to being able to do that be focused yeah. and resilience I suspect is huge yeah I think it is I think it is um, so we've got activating events combined with beliefs lead to consequences we're, we're fairly clear on that so what we're going to touch on now is, is a, a brief coaching model that, that people can use to help in that specific situation and it's something, it really does work. It, like all these things, it takes a bit of practice. Um, and as ever, it takes a bit of time. But this is um, from the school of models that are kind of known as sort of rational emotive type models. And, and it's really about um, bringing some rationality to a situation when you have an activating event that gets some negative self-talk going. Um, so, so what this model is, is the ETC model. That stands for Emotion, Truth, and Conscious Choice. Those are the three stages. You you deliver this with your, you know, just on your own. You don't need somebody to help coach you through this. It's just kind of a process you can go through that's self-coaching. So what happens when your activating event goes off and you, you are triggered and you've got this negative self-talk going? What's happening then is you have all kinds of emotional responses to something, right? So the first stage of a model is 
uh, the emotion stage. And here what you need to do is you just need to acknowledge your thoughts and feelings without judgment. So in your example, it's saying, wow, I'm, you know, I'm feeling negative about this. I'm feeling stressed. I'm worried about this. It reminds me of all this other stuff. You know, just acknowledge and don't judge it. What's your mind saying? What's the voice in your head saying? Um, what are your emotions telling you? So just acknowledge that as the first stage. And then the literature would say, take a deep breath. Hmm. That was me taking a deep breath and breathing up. And then that moves you on to stage two, which is the truth, right? So you've acknowledged the thoughts and the emotions that are going on. And now what you do is, is you think about the truth, right? And this is trying to step away from the emotional back towards the rational. And here what we're saying is, what's the truth of the situation? What's fact? What's, you know, not down the rabbit warrens of mind uh, talk that's getting you into negative places, but what's happened in the past? What's the helpful truth? You know, you said different people have these stories about their lives. What is the helpful truth that's out there? What part of your story and what part of your beliefs are really helpful? Um, and also, you know, what, what's the reality of the situation? And let's focus on those and think about those. So in, in your example, you've done work with this exam, it's been 20 years, you're good at your job, it's a subject that you love, you've practiced, you know the content. Those are all helpful, truthful statements, right? So you give yourself time to think about the truth in that context. And then only once you've taken time to think about that truth, then you should make a decision or take a choice. And that gets you to stage three, which is conscious choice. So having thought about the truth, you take another deep breath and then think about and make a decision in terms of the action you're going to take next based on that truth. So what is your purpose and what does your helpful truth guide you towards doing? And this is really about decision making in, in, in a moment when you need to respond. So the type of thing that would happen here is in, in terms of a meeting. Maybe somebody says something and it's an activating event for you and it makes you feel like you're being judged or it makes you feel like the world's not uh, kind to you or people don't value your opinion. And your response in that instant might be to do something negative. But if you take time and say, actually, last time somebody said that to me, they didn't mean that, I misinterpreted. I know that the person who said that values me because they've said A, B, and C in the past. That's the truth. So based on that reassessed position of the truth, I'll respond accordingly. So that's kind of what the ETC model is. So, so you know, acknowledge the thoughts and feelings in stage one emotion. Um, let go of them a little bit and think about the truth in stage two truth. Think about rationality and helpful truth. Then in stage three, you make a conscious choice. So this is C, conscious choice, um, based on the truth. So that's the ETC model, and that's something that individuals can use to help get them back towards uh, a stable state when there's been an activating event. What do you think about that? How does I that think sound? we should have done this podcast three days ago is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was busy typing this up while you were I know, busy. While I was sitting <laughs> in the exam room going. The irony is, um, what I would say is, um, I, I, I can wholeheartedly endorse this approach because... I, I've used it yeah. but the irony is I've used it in situations like exams and interviews and stuff like that where I haven't been prepared and I think yeah. what's really interesting is uh, because the, the situation was so different for me in that I had prepared I panicked yeah because yeah. I wasn't used to it I, I, and this is this is what I would go back to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier about how you can be better at yourself and help yourself with yeah. resilience one of the things I would struggle uh, I would strongly encourage people to do Go and put yourself in uncomfortable situations all the time. Totally. When you're feeling good about yourself, not when you're bad. When you're feeling good about yourself, you know what? That is the exact moment to go and do something deeply uncomfortable. Because I tell you what, 
one of the, one of the interesting things that's just occurred to me about why I struggled yeah. was because it was completely unfamiliar. The frustration to know the material and still not know what to write yeah. panicked me, and I rushed it. Right, yeah. and what actually was used to happen is I used to be so used to being under the pressure of not knowing it and thinking, "Crumbs, yeah, how am yeah, I going to yeah. craft a decent answer out of this?" And so I think just being in multiple different types of situations really helps. So, so something interesting there. One of the things I used to speak to audiences that were fairly large to me, that were fairly scary at different points in time, and you know theatres and stuff like that. And one of the things that I did to prepare to deal with the stress of that is obviously you prepare a lot, but I also I used to embrace the stress that I got when I was preparing. Mm. So I do like a dry run through in a venue. Um, and I could feel my palms getting sweaty mm. and, and my you know heart going and things like that. And I knew that that was good. And I started to embrace that and almost try and get myself as anxious as I could at that stage and do it anyway. So so amazing you're talking about this. I was listening to uh, Graham Norton. Okay. So Americans Google him. You might have seen him on telly. He, he does an interview show on BBC, loads of famous people. Anyway, he does a radio show. This morning he was talking to Joe Brand. And Joe okay. Brand and him were talking about doing uh, stand-up for the mm-hmm. first time in decades okay. and they were talking about how adrenaline gets you through things if you can use it and how stand-up comedians are really good yeah. at riding that adrenaline yeah. wave and so what you're talking about that is exactly how I prepare for public speaking Yeah, okay. um, and it's exactly what happens to me I love the sense of heightened experience. Yeah, and you, you just know what and sometimes it, I don't get it right yeah. but that's okay because what's happening to me is as I'm, as I'm talking and as I'm behaving I, I, I'm, I'm, it's like I'm hyper mindful and hyper conscious. Yes, right? yes, it becomes this. And you know when you're pe- and you feel it, and yeah, you feel yeah, when yeah. you're getting it wrong, and you feel when yeah, you get it right, yeah, yeah. and you're pulling yourself back yeah. and forth. But you've got to practice that, and you've got to work with it, and you've got to run through the. It's like so. It's like plugging your fingers into a socket, yeah. and then seeing if you can still cut yeah. someone's hair neatly, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Or doing something really, it. and yeah. you do have to practice it. And what I would say is, if you are someone who considers yourself to be naturally resilient, yeah. And if you are someone who prides yourself, and I'm, uh, the pride will relate uh, yeah. later, but um, on being resilient, trust me, there are still things you can do Absolutely. to test that and stretch yeah. that and yeah. to improve it. So the classic I would give you is, I am really bad at drawing, right? Really bad. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm truly dreadful. Yeah. Go to an art class and be the worst in the room for a while. Yeah. It's really good for you. Yeah, it is. Um, if you are uncomfortable... Uh, I'm really bad at keeping my trap shut, mm-hmm. right? So I go to meetings and I, I challenge myself mm-hmm. to see how long I can not talk mm-hmm. for. Speaking of foreign languages, one, just try and learn. I mean, I'm not... It's generally, that, anything different. that you're going to embarrass yourself yeah, at. Yeah. Because, because those things really, really help build resilience. Because guaranteed someone will judge you or laugh at you. Um, I Also, I would just mention that anyone who's got kids, you guys, man, you lot, <laughs> you've got more resilience than all of us. Yeah. Maybe, we should do, maybe we should just get parents to just Maybe that's it. Yeah. All right, so that's kind of the end of the research roundup. Quick review. We talked about who's accountable for the well-being of people. It's a mixture of individuals and organizations. We talked about some facts around stress. We talked about the pressure and performance curve and how too little pressure leads to low performance, too much pressure leads to low performance. There's an optimal point that's good for the individual and for organizations in terms of productivity. We shared a brief way to measure resilience. We talked about some things that you can do to build your resilience. Uh, We focused on the ABC model and then the ETC model. So ABC is the activating event, plus the belief leads to the consequence with the emphasis there on the beliefs and the mind talk that goes with that. ETC model is emotion, truth, and conscious choice. And by going through those stages, you can tend to get better outcomes for yourself once uh, you're in a a sort of activating event or triggering type situation. So that's our research roundup. So quite a lot in there. We're we're kind of hammering through it this week. Um, But that brings us on to our list of the week. 
Um, would you like to run through that? Yeah, really straightforward list of the week. Uh, this week, it's um, things that you can do to help someone else, uh, particularly if they may be struggling with their own levels of resilience or if they've experienced things that maybe have knocked down their levels of resilience a little bit. Um, there's a few things here to go through. Uh, one is, uh, and some of these are really obvious, uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do them, you should be doing yeah. all of them all the time. Um, so saying thank you. If you see someone taking knocks uh, or pushing themselves out, um, or even if you see people who just maybe are stretching themselves a bit, say thank you. Because if you think of it like a little battery, you're filling it up for them because yeah. they don't have time to be kind to themselves, so be kind to them. Yeah. Um, celebrate people's successes, call them out, recognize it, and also use language that makes people aware that they uh, stretching yourself is not an expectation, right? It's not that you constantly should be and it should be out of the norm, but if you celebrate people doing it and make it aware that that's not going to become the norm, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, Apologise and flag up when you're wrong and be honest about it and share when you get it wrong. Um, a, it helps them because it helps them realise that it's not always their fault, sometimes someone else's, particularly if you're their boss. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, apologising... <laughs> a real shortcut to getting over pride and pride is so often involved with some the, the ability to bounce back yeah so quite often licking your wounds and your ego is is is, is, is it, it, you can't help it it's just there but learning to apologize more often and more frequently and over smaller things really helps yeah um ask someone about their hobbies and their interests engage with them talk to them about other stuff right because sometimes that really helps see the bigger picture for people. It yeah. really helps them think, you know what, this is one part of my life and there's a whole load of stuff I love yeah. and I'm passionate and I'm good at. It, it, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. it. It helps move them into a domain in which they feel a fair amount of self-worth because these are yeah. things they probably are semi-expert And I think in. particularly when people are on stressful periods and doing stressful work projects, right, it's really easy to all-consumingly only talk about a project and make them feel like they're only worth that project. Yes, exactly. Right? Having a lunch break and talking about, you know, the garden or their holiday they're planning... Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. gives them some mental mental yeah. space uh, go for a walk with someone okay so I'm a massive proponent of this walking meetings walking non-meetings walking lunches walking just one to get one out there yeah. walking one to one whatever it is just get out there yeah. just take a walk stretch the legs um, and also uh, the other thing if you see someone take a knock right go talk to them yeah. it's really easy to sit in meetings uh, and what happens is someone gets a hard time because something's gone wrong and everyone just kind of drifts out of the meeting room, doesn't yeah, want to talk to them, and they won't look them in the eye. And I've been that person. Status. It's all like, oh, I don't want to awkward, awkward. And just go and say, go and speak to them and go, huh, wow, tough meeting, fancy coffee. Yeah. Or don't mention it at all if you don't know them that well. And instead wander over and say, oh, you know, I'd be really interested in talking to you about some of the other stuff. Yeah, the lessons yeah, we yeah, can yeah, share yeah. and stuff would be really helpful. That's Make them feel one. like their failure is not yeah, the end of the world, okay. and actually it's useful. Yeah. Um, so those are things that we can do to help people more resilient say thank you celebrate successes but carefully apologise if you've made mistakes or you're in the wrong um, ask people about stuff outside of the situation about their hobbies their interests go outside take a walk go with people and also just you know stick out a bit of an olive branch if things have been tough yeah. stick out a little bit of a, 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 a pool noodle in the pool to rescue them <laughs> because otherwise it can feel really lonely out there yeah so that's the list of the week. No, there's another word for pool noodles. That's what I've taken away from that. I can't foam remember. roller. Foam roller. No, they're called like woggles or something like that as well. Wiggles, woggles. I don't know. Noodles. I know them as foam rollers in the gym and pool noodles in American literature. Fine. Okay. Yeah. 
amazing there's, there's some amazing stuff on the web on a complete tangent about yeah. like a hundred million uses for pool, pool noodles it's incredible <laughs> okay. anyway episode 17 on yeah, pool we've, noodles we're going to get writing on that okay so any stories from a keyboard for you any specific examples uh, really quick one and it's about it's, it's a, in the spirit of what we've just said I'm mm. going to fess up um, I used to wear resilience like a badge of honour um, I used to tell a story, talk about stories before, yeah. um, I used to tell a story about how I had to be dragged from my sick bed, and I'm rarely sick, yeah. uh, into work for a 48 hour shift to try and finish a project, and I still tell, I still find myself telling that story with pride. There yeah. is nothing to be proud of about There's that not. situation. I am proud of the work that is associated with it, we shouldn't have needed to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we did and, and I, yes I'm proud that I recovered from it and I stayed at that organisation and I was happy and I, I, I moved away from working that hard um, but I have used that story with people younger than me in the industry to show how far you should have to push yourself yeah, to it's achieve like, you know, and that's junior nonsense doctor, oh yeah it's nonsense it's absolute nonsense um, and so that's me doing my thing for anyone who does know me listening saying I'm really sorry if I pushed you really yeah. hard because you know I've grown up and I've learned. Yeah, it takes time to do this stuff. It really does. Um, my little story is kind of to do with weaponization of resilience, which was a topic earlier. Um, one of the groups I was in was rolling out a high-level resilience training, you know, a one-day program to people. And um, partway through, <laughs> partway through the day, at sort of one o'clock in the afternoon, one of the people who was attending, there were maybe twenty people in there, basically put their hand up and said, effectively, I can't do this. I'm exhausted, I'm stretched, I'm not in a great place, and now you're lumping resilience training on to me and taking my time with this when I'm barely functioning and making it my responsibility to do all this stuff. I just can't really take it anymore. And so for me, that's just an example of, of where you need to be careful. Um, and you can, you can make your people accountable for their resilience, but at the same time, ultimately, it's often organizations and leaders that create environments that are the things that are likely to break people and when you see it in action it's not great um so just just don't i guess just be conscious of what you're asking your people to do when you're asking them to be resilient if you're asking them to be resilient in a situation that's um inhuman then that's not their problem that's your problem as an organization obviously the flip side of that is for employees you've got to be tough enough to deal with a normal thing um it's just about where that balance is so there we go talk about lowering the tone a little bit there uh, not lowering no, the tone I, lowering I, the mood. I, think, I don't think it is at all I think that's really important so my top tips would be if you are feeling extraordinarily put under pressure and that your resilience is dropping um, as an employee keep a record of what you're being asked to do and where it's feeling like it's stretching yeah. and as a boss it is your I'm going to say it again it is your duty and your obligation to understand um, and that means talking to people about it now if yeah. they are not being efficient in the way they do it and that's why they feel stretched then that's an efficiency issue yep. but if they tell you that they have issues believe them Yeah. Right. it's their truth yeah. it might not be your truth and you might be able to perform under that level of pressure they can't, yeah, it's their truth different. that's their, that's their yeah. person and their, your well being is, their, uh, their is your responsibility yeah absolutely so believe them yeah, and I guess my um, my final thought on this is to um, speak to people that you trust. So if you find yourself in a difficult situation, speak to the people that that you trust and that you value. Tell them how you feel. Be open. Get their support. Listen to them if if they're in that situation. But communicating about this stuff is really important. If if you don't 
communicate and admit when things are tough and it only makes them tougher. And often the first stage, like people say, of getting over these things is speaking to somebody and, and putting words to how you feel. Um, and that's hard. Yeah, it really is. And you know what? The easiest place to start is when no one's feeling low. Yes. You know, start talking about how maybe it's been a tough week personally because, you know, the house is being done up or whatever. Yeah. And therefore, you're feeling a little bit less resilient than normal. Yeah. Um, because that language, bringing that in then is much easier than when everyone's stressed at the end of a project yeah. and, and like, hang on a minute, what do you mean you're not being resilient? Yeah. So a, a great analogy that I've, I've heard on this resilient stuff is around, um, actually it was to do with sort of meditation and things like that, but it, it relates very much to this, which is, you know, you wouldn't teach yourself to swim in the open seas, would you? I mean, you don't go out to like a stormy Atlantic squall and, and decide, oh, this is where I'm going to learn to swim. You start in calm, quiet waters. You know, you'll start in a shallow paddling pool and learn there and then progress to the bigger areas and the bigger areas. And it's the same with managing your resilience and having conversations about it. If you practice your management techniques in the shallower waters, then you'll be more able to, to use them in the deeper waters when it's the time. Yeah. Okay, so that was quite a big episode. I mean, I think there was a lot in there on resilience. Um, oh, James, we could talk about resilience for ages. I know, nearly as long as we could talk about well-being, or actually long, <laughs> long, longer, I think. Uh, is anyone still listening? Yeah, I know. Give us a shout out if there's anyone alive. Yes, here you go. There's a trick. Put it at the end of the podcast. If you're still listening to this podcast and you've heard the end, just tweet yeah. at the Wow Podcast with, I saw it through to the yeah. end. Yeah. And I bounced back. Yeah, and I bounced back. Well done for surviving this. Um, that's taking resilience in itself. Anyway, we are getting to the end, so we're going to check out of here. Please definitely get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Wow Podcast. We'd really like to hear from you. Um, and uh, it's a great way to understand a little bit more about what your, what your thoughts are and what we're saying. Yeah, good stuff. All right, well, until next time, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.